Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Teachers are incredible, aren't they? They are. I mean, I love my daughters, but the thought of spending seven hours a day with them and 25 of their classmates trapped in a 40 by 40 foot box, day after day, week after week, month after month, for nine months out of the year, only to repeat that process for 40 years? I mean, that's the stuff that my nightmares are made of. So I only have the highest respect for our educators, for our teachers. It takes a tremendous amount of patience to do what you do. When I think of the patience required of teachers, I'm reminded of the story of an elementary or a kindergarten teacher in Texas who was helping one of her students pull on a pair of stiff cowboy boots. Only in Texas, right? He had asked for help, and so she could see why those boots were really hard to put on. With her pulling and him pushing, they still didn't want to go on. So by the time that she finally got that second boot on, she was drenched in sweat. So her heart fell when she heard that boy tell her, teacher, I think we put him on the wrong feet. (laughs) She looked down, and sure enough, the right was on the left, and the left was on the right. Now, it wasn't any easier getting those boots off than it was putting them on, but she struggled through it. It finally got the correct boots on the correct feet, and that's when the little boy had a revelation. I think they're tight because these aren't my boots. (laughs) Now, a number of choice words came to mind, but she instead bit her tongue, and she decided to show patience. Once again, she removed those boots. No sooner had the last boot come off than he continued. These are my brother's boots. My mama made me wear them this morning. (laughs) Now she didn't know whether to laugh or cry, but she mustered as much courage and grace as she could, and she helped him put on those boots one last time. With the end in in sight, they stood up, and she helped him put on his coat and then asked him, Tommy, where are your mittens? To which he replied, oh, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. (laughs) Any teachers here who can identify with this story? (laughs) It takes a tremendous amount of patience to do what you do. So whether you teach in a homeschool or elementary, junior high, high school, college, or university, whether you are an administrator or a support staff, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for what you do. Now, we can all agree that the work of our educators is of utmost importance, but have you ever stopped to consider why? Why is education so important? What's the purpose of education? Why do we have to go to school? I'm sure there's some students in this room who have asked the question, why do I have to go to school? 
I'm sure there are some parents in this room who have asked the question, why do I have to take them to school? And I think there's even some teachers in this room who after a long week have asked the question, why do they have to come to school? So what's the answer? What's the purpose of education? Why do we spend so much time and effort in education? That's the question that uh, the Higher Education Institute asked a bunch of college freshmen. It's a good question to ask freshmen. Why do you go to college, right? Do you know what they said? The number one reason that 85.8% of surveyed college students said was the reason why they went to college was, drumroll please, getting rich, okay, getting rich. The reason why they enrolled in college, the reason why they paid tuition, the reason why they were going to work so hard to earn a degree was so that one day they could become rich. Now, before we criticize these students and use this data as an indictment on the selfishness of millennials, we needed to pause and ask ourselves, where did they learn this? Because they didn't learn it in a vacuum. They got it from somewhere. They got it from someone. See, it's no surprise that, they, that students answer in this way when many times we tell students the reason why they have to do well in school and study hard is so that one day they can get a good job, earn a good living, and live the good life. And none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. But is that all there is to education? Or is there something more? Now, I'm not an expert on education. So to answer that question, I'd like to turn to the words of a man who is much wiser than I am. He's a man who was educated in one of the most prestigious educational systems of his time. He arose to become the chief advisor to kings in two different kingdoms, and and his words are still revered in three different faith traditions today. His name is Daniel, and his life sort of ended up where many of us want our lives and when our, want our students and our, and our children's lives to end up. But though his life ended in accolades and awards, it didn't begin that way. Near the beginning of his life, probably when he was just a teenager, his country was conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And that single event changed the course of his life forever. He was taken captive. He was taken from his people, from his country, from his home, and forced to live as an exile in a foreign land for the rest of his life. And yet, it is in the context, in that context of losing everything, that Daniel's choices communicate a powerful message about the purpose of education. And that story is found in Daniel chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up flip them over, turn them on, and turn over to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5. So after conquering Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar took all the nobles back to Babylon, and then he did this. He assigned them, the captives, a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, which was like the best food in the kingdom, right? This is not, this is not McDonald's-level food. This is like you reach cafe level food, right? It's the best food in the area. 
which is kind of a strange thing to do if you think about it. To feed prisoners of war gourmet food from your own table? But it's because Nebuchadnezzar was a little bit unique for his time. See, he would take the nobles of the people that he conquered, and instead of torturing them or, or imprisoning them or killing them, he would place them in an educational process that slowly stripped away their identity and left them thoroughly Babylonian. That's why he changed their names. Did you catch that? See, this is very important. Nebuchadnezzar's goal as an educator wasn't simply to impart information. It was to instill identity. He wanted to create loyal citizens of Babylon. And he was very successful at it, which is why Babylon became the center of culture and learning and science in the ancient world. And that was his plan for Daniel and his fellow captives. They were to be trained for three years in the University of Babylon, you know, the best university in Babylon. It was like the Loma Linda of Babylon, right? Only the best of the best got to go there. And they got to attend and eat and live for free, which isn't a bad deal, right? I mean, free tuition, room, and board. I mean, how do I sign up for Babylonian University? And so most of the captives, they were very excited about this prospect. I mean, they thought they were going to die in the desert somewhere, or they were going to be thrown into some deep, dark hole somewhere. And instead, they're living in the finest accommodations. They're eating the richest foods, and they're receiving the highest quality education all for free. And that's not it. There's more. Verse 5 continues. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. So not only were they given a free education, they were guaranteed a job after they graduated. Can I get an amen? I mean, if they did really well, they would get a high position in in the most powerful empire of their time. I mean, this was as good as it got for a person in that ancient time. So most of the captives... They were all in. They were willing to do whatever it took to maximize this opportunity, but not Daniel. Verse 8 reads, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel risks this amazing opportunity, this opportunity for wealth, for power, for influence, this opportunity not to live as a slave for the rest of his life. He risks all of that for what? For some archaic dietary laws that God had given to him hundreds of years before? I mean, there's a lot of ways that Daniel could have rationalized why it was okay for him to eat this food. If he did well, he would, he would have influence and power. If he did well, he could influence policy to favor God's people. If he did well, maybe one day he could lead God's people back home. There's a lot of reasons why Daniel could have said yes to this opportunity. But Daniel says no. Why? It's because Daniel understood something that many of us forget. And that is this. Who we are is more important 
than what we do. Who we are is more important than what we do. Who we're becoming is more important than what we are achieving. Now, society often tells us the opposite of this. It encourages us to believe that what we do is of primary importance. So as a result, many of us devote most of our time and energy into doing, into passing tests, earning degrees, advancing careers, gaining stuff, collecting, collecting accolades. And this drive to achieve is so strong that at times we will sacrifice our who for the sake of our what. We will sacrifice our most important relationships. We will compromise our characters. We will neglect our mental and physical and spiritual health just so we can do more. But Daniel here, he pushes back against that trend. He refuses to take advantage of this opportunity if it means losing his identity. Because Daniel understands that who he is is much more important than what he does. Who we are is much more important than what we do. And that makes sense. It makes sense because who we are ultimately determines what we are able to do. See, our identity functions much like the roots of a plant. It's been a while since I've taken botany, but if I remember correctly, a plant generally develops its roots before it grows its sprouts. Is that right? Yeah. Why? Because its roots feed its growth. So underdeveloped roots result in stunted growth. I want you to get this. What a plant develops underneath the surface determines what it can grow above it. The same is true of us as humans. What we develop below the surface of our lives ultimately determines what we are able to achieve above it. It is our physical, mental, spiritual, relational, emotional health that nourishes and feeds our achievements. And yes, it's possible. It's possible to experience rapid growth and do a lot with, while neglecting our inner lives. That's possible. But that kind of growth is unsustainable, and eventually it's going to catch up to us. I mean, think about all the men and women whose great deeds were overshadowed, were tarnished because they lacked a developed inner life. And Daniel realized this. And that's why he pushed back on this education that was being pushed upon him. Because he understood that the true purpose of education was not simply to teach him to do something, but to train him to be someone. See, that's what Ellen White talks about in her book, Education. Education is one of the best books on parenting that I've ever read. So if you haven't read it yet, I'd encourage you to get a copy. But in it, she makes this powerful statement about the purpose, the true purpose of education. She writes, Our ideas of education take too narrow and too low a range. There is a need of a broader scope, a higher aim. True education means more than the pursuit of a certain course of study. It means more than a preparation for the life that now is. It has to do with the whole being, the whole being, 
and with the whole period of existence possible to man. It is the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, the spiritual powers. It prepares the student for the joy of service in this world and for the higher joy of wider service in the world to come. See, like Daniel, Ellen White here puts more emphasis on our who than our what. She says the true purpose of education is not simply to help us to do something great, but to help us to become someone great. And when I think about the teachers, the teachers in my life who have, a, who have made the most impact, they did this. They didn't just, they didn't just impart knowledge. They instilled, they instilled character. They helped me become the person that I am today. Teachers like Mrs. Scheller, my third and fourth grade teacher who believed in me when I had a hard time believing in myself. Mr. Robbins, my fifth and sixth grade teacher, who inspired me to live a life of service. Mrs. Harding, our school librarian, who taught me that being introspective was not a burden, it was a blessing. Mr. Harding, our school custodian, who taught me the value of hard work. And Mr. Fenderson, my high school Bible and history teacher, who by the way that he lived his life, showed me that life is about so much more than just collecting a paycheck. It's about dedicating service to God. These men and women, they didn't just teach me to do something. They taught me to be someone. They helped me become the person I am today. Have you ever, have you ever watched the movie Mr. Holland's Opus? Anybody here? In that movie, there's a scene where the school principal passes on a piece of advice to her rookie teacher. And this is what she says to him. A teacher has two jobs. Fill young minds with knowledge, yes. But more important, give those minds a compass so that knowledge doesn't go to waste. See, that's the true purpose of education, to train us to be someone great and not simply do something great. So let me ask you, what's the purpose? What's your goal for education? Teachers, parents, what's the goal that you set out for your students and your children? Students, what's the goal that you set out for yourself? How will you determine the success of your education? Is it by who you're becoming or what you're doing? Is it by the grade on your papers? the degrees on your wall, the titles on your business card? Is it by the clothes that you wear, the cars that you drive, the homes that you own? Or maybe, maybe you measure success by the impact you make in other people's lives, by the service you provide, by the buildings that you build, by the books that you write. And all of those external achievements, they're great. But Daniel had a different metric. He measured the success of his education, not by what he was doing, but by who he was becoming. By whether he was becoming someone great rather than simply doing something great. 
And if we're going to follow in his footsteps, then we need to look at the development of the whole person. And that may change our approach to education, not just in our schools, but in our homes, at our church. So this is the question I'd like to ask you. How should we approach education if our priority was to help our students become better people and not just better pupils? How do we develop the whole person? How do we develop and make the whole person grow? How do we do that? One possible answer is that we can invest more into relationships, invest more time and energy into relationships. You know, the latest research on faith transmission points to the the key role that relationships, especially intergenerational relationships, plays in character development. In a groundbreaking study on what um, enables us to transmit a faith that lasts to the next generation, the Barna Group, they discovered that having intergenerational relationships was a key marker of those who had a resilient faith. This is what they write. Four out of ten, four out of ten resilient disciples, more than double any other groups, so less resilient groups, have an adult mentor at church, someone other than a staff member, other than a pastor. More than half of resilient disciples look to an older person for advice when making difficult decisions. But this isn't new, right? I mean, faith and character has always been caught more than it's been taught. It's primarily been transmitted through relationships. So I know there are many teachers and parents and students who are approaching education in this manner. I've appreciated how our local academies have have taken a holistic approach to education. But I also know that these types of transformational relationships, they take a lot of time. And therein lies the challenge. Because when the pressure of life pushes in, Students, when tests and papers and projects come due, teachers, when outside forces prioritize test scores over student development, parents, when we start to feel the pressure of making sure our kids get, have enough extracurriculars and a high enough GPA to get into a good school, when the pressure of life pushes in, it becomes very easy to sacrifice our who for the sake of our what. It becomes very easy to sacrifice the time for our most important relationships, to neglect our relational, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health just for the sake of doing more. Fight that impulse. Choose identity over opportunity. Choose becoming over achieving. Choose to be someone great rather than simply do something great. Because, friends, who you are is much more important than what you do.